Uh, This morning, we're going to just break off a little bit from our Gospel of John series, and I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and and go to that passage that Ginger just read a little while ago in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a passage that, that deals exclusively with the resurrection of Jesus, and so it's a great place for us to look together this morning. Paul is the writer of this letter, and he is the founding pastor of this church in this massive city called Corinth. He is writing to a collection of house churches, and these churches are a hot mess. There is division that is taking place among them. There is moral impurity. It is so bad that some of the church members are actually suing other church members, There's questions about marriage and divorce, and those who are experienced followers of Jesus seem to have no regard for the new Christians. When they take the Lord's Supper, it's absolute chaos, and when they gather for worship, it's it's in disarray. And Paul is going to be winding up this letter to the Christians there in Corinth by anchoring them to the great truths of of the gospel. It's as if these great winds of compromise and sin and worldliness are, are blowing in. He's going to spend some time now in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, do you remember where we started? I want to, I want to remind you of the message that you received. And Highland Crest and guests, before we look down upon these uh, Christians there in Corinth, I remind you that we're not much different than them, are we? We might look around at our world and see a world in chaos, whether it's the war in Ukraine that's extended now beyond 50 days. We might look on what takes, took place in Brooklyn here with a gunman shooting over 20 people at the subway this week. We might just say, oh, look at the gas prices that are soaring or how inflation is in a place it hasn't been for over 40 years. But we could just also take an honest look at our own hearts and say, are we much different than the church in Corinth? I mean, do we really experience the the unity that God would want us? Are we truly loving one another? Could we say as families here of the church that moral impurity is, is not a problem? Are we genuinely pursuing relationships with people who have offended us in the past? And are all our marriages on solid footing? And is our worship that we gather for, is it always authentic? Well, I think we need to hear this word as much as the church in Corinth did that day. I want to reread, and I'm going to extend this again. Let's look at the first eight verses here of 1 Corinthians 15. And please follow along with me. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." And then he appeared to Cephas, and then to twelve. And then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, 
though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles, last of all to one untimely born. He also appeared to me. Our Father, thank you for the word that we have today. and Thank you for the the reason for us to get up today and the hope that is all fastened to this wonderful historic event of Jesus' resurrection. Now, as we look at this passage, we pray that you would help us to see it, to understand it, be challenged by the gospel that's presented to us here. And may we, as the believers there in Corinth, receive it. May we stand on it. And may we not only have been saved from our sins, but may we be saved continually from our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got two simple questions that I'm going to pose in this message today, and then we'll be finished. The first is this, what is the gospel? And then secondly, how am I to respond to the gospel? Now, first, let's look at this. If you have your outline, you can follow along with me. It says, what is the gospel? What I would love to do is just immediately jump into verses 3 and 4 because I think that's a great description of the gospel. But right now, what I'd like to do is resist that urge and do a a zoom out a little bit from this passage. Imagine you were scanning Google Earth and you were looking at a place and and you are zoomed in on maybe on your own home, and you said, you know what I want to do? I want to back out and see the city I live in, see the state I'm in, the country. Let me back out all the way to see the globe. And that's what I want to do for a moment with you, to zoom way out and take a look at the overall storyline of the Bible, the gospel. Perhaps you are new to us this morning, and, and you're just here today and you're thinking, I'd like to learn more about the Bible and about Jesus, but where do I even begin? I think the next few minutes will be invaluable to you. It has been said that you could take all of the Bible and break it up into four chapters. So let me give those chapters to you. If you have your outline, you'll see the first one there is creation. Creation. That is, where did we all come from? The Bible provides a very clear answer for that in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has always existed, and He created everything out of nothing. The Bible also says that God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God created the birds, the trees, the giraffes, but he made men and women different, distinct. Only thus, human race can say that we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, ultimately it means we were made to know and enjoy and honor and worship God through a close relationship. It means that we are rational It means that we are beings with a soul. And man and women, there in creation, enjoyed a very close relationship with God. According to Genesis 1, 31, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. At this time, there was no death, there was no disease, there was no conflict, only harmony and close relationships. Maybe if you're a young uh, 
parents, you can remember how at one point in your life, everything was neat and in order, and everything was designed how you want it, and then children came into your world and disrupted everything. Well, in a small way, it's something like that. So the first chapter is that of creation. If we were to look at the overall panoramic view of the gospel or the Bible, the second chapter would be something called the fall. Man and women were placed in this garden with wonderful freedom. They could have anything they wanted except for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. According to Genesis 3, 6, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they now knew guilt and shame. Sin had entered the world, and now there was strife, rebellion, pain, and disease. And every person born after this would be infected with this sin. Genesis 3.23 says, Therefore, the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden. You see, sin had consequences, and the relationship with God was severed. According to Isaiah 59, verse 2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Man was cursed. In fact, if you were to look at the Bible in the Old Testament, about over 75% of the Bible, much of it is written in those first two chapters. After creation, man experiences this fall where there is this curse over men and women. Isaiah 24, verse 6 says, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. But as you open the pages of the New Testament, there is a bright ray of hope that is shined down in the stable there in Bethlehem as Jesus is born. And he will serve as the hero to rescue men and women from this curse of sin. And so we read in Galatians 3, verse 13, where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, for in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now all of that is a bit of a background The first two chapters of the Bible would have to do with creation. The second would have to do with the fall. And now that we understand the significance of that backdrop, now I think we're ready to jump back in to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's begin here in verse 3. Where Paul, the founding pastor to this church in Corinth, is saying, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received. There is one prominent message, church family, that you need to hear. It is the gospel. And I am presenting this to you. It's not one that originated with me, but it's one that I've had passed down to me, and now I am passing it down to you. And what is that gospel? It says here in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. This leads to the third chapter of this overall story 
And it is the chapter of redemption. That God sent his son to deal with this curse of sin. That son is called the Christ, the anointed one. The one who would serve as our substitute. You see, our sin was punishable by death. And Jesus took our death upon himself. He absorbed your punishment there on the cross. It says that Christ died for our sins. And this was a a death that was of the most excruciating type, where he would go before a high priest, a chief priest, and, and they would have a rigged trial, and then before Pontius Pilate and Herod, and they would whip him, they would scourge him, they would mock him, they would place a thorn of crowns upon his head, and they would have him carry a, a heavy cross, where he would have iron nails driven into his hands and into his feet. But as painful as all of that was, it paled in comparison to being separated from his father. As his father looked down upon him on the cross, he no longer saw a son, but he saw your sin. And he saw my sin. That sin's curse might be dealt with. In September of 2013, there was a horrific terrorist attack in Nairobi, Kenya. Gunmen connected to an Al-Qaeda affiliate named Shabab went into a mall and killed 67 people and injured another 200. It was a horrible disaster. And as the stories began to come out, a young mother by the name of Sheba Kothair Mashur was interviewed. She was there at that mall to have a cup of coffee with a friend. And then the gunshots started ringing out. She dropped down to the floor and she laid there pretending to be dead while the gunshots were going around. In a moment, there was some silence and she heard a cell phone go off near her. And she quickly reached for it, trying to silence it so the the attackers would not come her way. She did it. And then she realized that there was a man right next to her that was in a pool of blood. You know what she did? She took some of that blood and she smeared it on her body. And she thought, if those gunmen come back, they're going to see blood over me and they will pass over and they will not kill me. In some way, this is what happened for us. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood. He died the death that you and I deserve. And if we would receive the blood applied to our lives, the judgment of God would pass over and we would be spared. You see there what it says in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This was something that was foretold in the Old Testament. There are several references to that, but in the interest of time, allow me just to share with you two of them. Maybe most prominently, we'd find this in Psalm 22, a psalm that was written about a thousand years before Jesus' death on the cross. 
Allow me just to read to you a few excerpts of Psalm 22, like verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or verse 7. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Or 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Another passage in accordance with the scriptures could be Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus' death. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 4. Verse 5. Pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Verse 6, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 53 verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And Isaiah 53 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. When we consider the three chapters of the overall story of the Bible, there is the creation, there is a fall, and there is redemption. We read further in 1 Corinthians 15, and you look at verse 4, where it says, a part of this gospel is that he was buried. Now that's an interesting detail, is it not? Why would this detail be included? And do we include this when we share the gospel? I think in God's foreknowledge, he knew that there would be people, in the last couple of thousand years there have been, These funny little skeptics that run around and say that Jesus never really died. And for them are these four words that says that he was buried. Because you don't bury people who are alive. You only bury people who are dead. In the Gospel of Matthew, there were those opponents of Jesus that said, Hey, Pilate. This man, Jesus, claimed that he would raise from the dead three days later, and so we don't want any funny business taking place here. Would you make sure that you send a guard and guard that tomb? And Pilate honored their request. And then the last part of the gospel that we see here in verse 4, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We share a gospel that speaks about the resurrected Lord. Jesus told his followers that he would die and that he would be raised to life. All of our faith, all of the gospel rests on Jesus being raised from the dead. And so what we see here in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, that there were witnesses to this. In verse 5, there was Peter or Cephas, then the twelve. In verse 6, it says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In verse 7, he appeared to James, likely the half-brother of Jesus. And in verse 8, it says, Last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Not right after the resurrection, but after Jesus raised from the dead and ascended, Jesus would appear to the apostle Paul. You see, our faith, loved ones, is based on historical facts of Jesus' death, 
his burial, and his resurrection. And if we don't have this, we have no Christianity. If I could just skim with you a little bit more of this chapter, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. As we were gathering around last night with the family, I said, uh, Boys, if, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, I would, there'd be no Highland Crest, and I certainly would not be a pastor. Verse 15, for even found to be, we would be found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. We would be misrepresenting God. If we look at verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You are still under the curse of the fall. Verse 18, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died before us, we we have no hope of seeing them again. And verse 19, and of Christ, we have hope in this life only. We of all people must be pitied. If Christ did not raise, we are fools. And it ought to be that people are looking and feeling sorry for us. Verse 21 and 22, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I said there were four chapters to this gospel story. Four chapters to this overall view of the Bible. Let me conclude with that last one. And that is a new creation. Part of the gospel is, is that Jesus will return and rule forever. Those who have rejected him will be tormented in eternity in a place called hell. But those who have received this good news, sin will be banished. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And man or return to the relationship that God intended, where there's no division and no conflict, but perfect fellowship with God forever. This is what Revelation 21.4 says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall not mourn. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And this is the good news. The good news is there'll be a new creation. So the question then posed for us this morning is how do I receive this gospel? This is magnificent news, isn't it? That there was the creation, there was the fall. Man has been over this curse for all these years, but this is why Jesus has come to die on the cross to be the curse for us but he raised to life and one day he will come again and there will be a new creation where we will live with him unhindered forever. So how do we respond? Well, could we follow the examples set forth for us in the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15? It says here, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. He is saying, I'm reminding you of this message. 
It's the same message you've heard from me before. It's the same message you continually hear from me. I'm preaching it to you. And what, do you, what did you do? It says there in verse 1, which you received. It's important for us as we hear this good news to do something about it. The people there in Corinth, they personally received this good news. What does that mean? To receive the gospel by trusting in Jesus alone to save you. It means to confess, I have sinned. I am in defiance to God. Sin's curse is over me and I need a rescuer that will lift this curse. I need Jesus and I need Jesus alone. Now this is not a combination of what you can do and what Jesus has done. This is entirely on what Jesus has done for you. You know, if it were as simple as just having a baby being born and then immediately baptizing it, then it would be so much easier, wouldn't it? I mean, if that were true, then I would encourage everyone to baptize their babies immediately. And I would even ask, why are you waiting for them to get to church? Why wouldn't you have a priest or someone there in the delivery room? As soon as that baby comes out, the priest would take it, dunk it down, and give it back to mom and dad. But this is a personal decision. As you hear the gospel being proclaimed, is, is, the, Lord, is the Lord drawing you? There might be some this morning that would say, that news is too good to be true. I read recently in 2001 that H&R Block uh, had this little drawing or contest in which they were going to award one of their customers $1 million. So there was this couple in New Jersey, Glenn and Gloria Sims of Sewell, New Jersey, who won. But every time that H&R Block called this couple to inform them of the good news, they said, this is a scam. There's no way that this is true. And so they just continually hung up on them. And they would keep reaching out, keep reaching out, but to say, would you stop calling us? And then it was a day before the expiration of that contest that finally someone got through with the good news and says, you need to receive this good news. And they went and cashed it in. Now, the government claimed 45% of that good news. <laughs> but God's good news is tax-free. You must receive it. Sometimes on Resurrection Sunday, it's a, it's a special day where people have some extended family, and maybe you were brought up under this teaching, maybe you were brought up in a church, and you say, yeah, I, I did that. I, well, my grandma or my, my mom, my dad is that. I must be good on that. This is a decision that is personal that you need to make yourself. The second thing that we see in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, in response is it says there, which you received, but not only that, but in which you stand. Once receiving this gift, this gift of grace, this gift of Jesus dying on the cross in our place, we've been made new. But then there is a new lifestyle that takes place. 
It says this gospel is one in which you stand. This gospel provides a new lens for us to see the world. We are being saved by grace and we are to live by grace. I like what Paul would say a little bit later in this passage there in verse 10. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So this gospel, this good news that we've taken a look at today is something that we are to stand on. And you could see in a world of chaos that the Christians in Corinth were enduring, how seeing the whole panoramic view of the gospel would be very helpful. When they look around and say, man, this thing is chaotic right now. As I look at my personal life, as I look at the life outside the church, in some cases when I look at life inside the church, man, where are we going? Well, there is a place that the gospel is taking us eventually to the day in which Jesus returns. And all that's wrong will be made right. The gospel enables us to live the life that God designed for us by putting God first in everything, by being the husband, being the wife that God wanted me to be, by being the children or being the parents that God wanted me to be, to be the church member, to be the employer, to honor the government as we are to be, to use the time and the resources as God would have us. It says there in verse 2, this gospel also is one in which we are being saved. It's not that we were just saved from sin in the past, but there is this ongoing growing in our faith to become more and more like Jesus. We are not to be stagnant, loved ones. We are to be growing and maturing. We are to be better husbands, better wives, better employees, better employers. This past week, I was thinking of this as I'm just blessed to be married to Melody and I've been trying to learn what pleases her and how I can honor her, I have learned that one of the things that really irritates her is when the cupboard doors are left open. And so I, I, I've really been taking um, a lot of effort to make sure I shut these cupboard doors. And then just yesterday, she, she shared with me, uh, Chad, come in here, and, and she opened the door there was the coffee creamer from earlier that day that I had used and I had mistaken my mind was everywhere else and I took it and I put it up there and, and she said, well, now what we need to do is we need for you to work on putting the coffee creamer back in the refrigerator because I had been, I've been doing this now. And I just said, look, you can't have it both ways. I mean, <laughs> you either are going to get your cupboard door shut or your, your coffee. I mean, I can't do everything, you know, in this marriage. <laughs> but hopefully that silly little illustration just shows that we want to be growing in our relationships. And this is what the gospel enables us to do. Through the grace of God to grow, be more and more like Jesus. And then we see here in verse 2, the last part. If you hold fast to the word... I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Evidence that you have received the gospel is that you are continuing on in the gospel ways. 
As Jesus holds on to you, you hold tightly onto him. This is proof that the curse of sin has been lifted. That the gospel has taken root into your life. There is a consistency in holding and keeping the teachings of Jesus. You'll notice there in verse 2 that there are some that have believed in vain. Now what in the world could that mean? They could have heard the gospel. They could have had all these four chapters of the, all of the Bible laid out to them and thought to themselves, man, that does sound good. I, I do want the curse of sin lifted from my life. I'm going to go on and live the life that I want to live. But if I can just sign up for that, that's what I want. And Jesus warns us of that. That when we receive the gospel, when we receive Jesus, that we are signing up that he is Lord of all of our life as well. If we were to look at Acts 18 and how the church of Corinth began we would see a wonderful story. But there was also evidence there where God gave Paul a dream. And he said, hey, things are difficult, but there's a lot of people in this city that are mine, and they just need to hear the gospel. And I believe that truth still rings out for our community today. There are a lot of people that just need to hear the gospel, that God is doing this wonderful work of drawing It's in the city of Green Bay. It's in Brown County. It's the surrounding areas. God is doing something. He is making them uncomfortable. He is putting within them a desire to hear the truth. It is our delight to be able to share the gospel with them. It's very possible that even this morning, you could say, God's been doing something in my heart. I sense that I have been being drawn to learning more of who this Jesus is. To, to committing my life, to giving my life over to him. What seems a very appropriate way to close out this message today would be able to make an opportunity for all of you that are in that category. What I'd like to do is just make it available. In a moment, we're going to have our music team come back up. They'll sing. And there are people within our church that we've just called our prayer team and they'll, they'll be up here at the front. And if there's a way that they can pray for you during this song, they'd be delighted to. But it could be that you have questions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they'd say, I want to ask some questions about that. Perhaps they could answer it at that moment. Maybe more likely you can get with them a little bit later and they can talk to you about that. See, the, the gospel is being shared. Now, how will we respond? Will you receive Will you stand on it? And will you hold on to Jesus as Jesus is holding on to you? Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for the good news. It's, it's news that we need to be reminded of. And may it be said here at, at Highland Crest that we're reminded of it weekly. May it be said in our Bible studies that it's always mentioned there. It's a focal point of every Bible study lesson that is provided. Lord, I thank you for the perspective that we were able to see it today. It it's, dips back into creation, into the fall, into this 
weary struggle of anticipating the redemption. And then it sets us hope to look forward to our future when Jesus returns and there is this new creation. Lord, as these words are being shared today, I pray for those who have never truly received it, that today would be the day there'd be an invitation right now for them to come and to do it. I suspect there's people like me in need of prayer. And I pray that during this time of invitation, they'd come and say, would you pray? Pray for my heart. Pray for this situation. I I need God's intervention in this. And as a family, we would serve and love the family as you have intended. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.